Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo. Uh, today's episode is a little bit weird because I don't have a co-host at all from our site. Uh, usually when we do these little uh, opponent preview episodes, either we have a co-host along with myself or Matt, or uh, Nick or Matt, who's going to be talking about the other team, or I'm going to do a little bit of an interview and then cut to Matt or Nick joining me. Both of them are out of commission tonight. Fortunately, this is the week that Penn State plays Indiana, so we have a couple of lunatics from our uh, beloved sister site, uh, Crimson Quarry, uh, which, oh God, they're they're crazy people. It's going to be fun. We're going to talk about the Indiana Hoosiers. We're going to talk about uh, them as a team this year. Uh, First, the 10,000-foot view, then look at offense, defense, stuff like that, and then predictions for this weekend's game. Do a little Big Ten talk. We're going to head out. We're going to try and do this one pretty quickly because, as we were talking about before, we have to watch Luka Doncic and DeAndre and play basketball. So, without any further ado, Ben Rafel, what's going on? I am ready to talk about Romeo Langford. It's an exciting <laughs> Big Ten basketball season coming up, and I can't wait till we play Penn State in my favorite Big Ten venue, the Bryce Jordan Center. Uh, well... Unfortunately, we didn't get you booked for that one yet, but uh, we'll talk uh, a little bit later in the year about getting you on for the Hoops podcast, and perhaps when you do that one, you'll be joined by your other Crimson Quarry brother and Jacob Rude. Jacob, what's going on? I am. Much, I was much more eager for the version of Ben's podcast than I am for the one that we're going to be doing tonight. <laughs> Well, don't worry, because I'm sure we'll also get to some point in this podcast where I'll tell you that the Lakers either need to make a trade or miss the playoffs. So we'll get to that one a little bit later. Uh, But before we do that, I think it's important uh, for people listening to this podcast to learn what they want to learn, which is about uh, this football game. It's a 3.30 kick in Memorial Stadium, Bloomington, Indiana. Going to be on ABC. Uh, Bloomington, the past two Three trips that Penn State has taken out there has been a little bit of a shop of horrors in 2013. Of course, Indiana took down Penn State. 2015, they played the worst football game that I've seen in my entire life. Uh, and then 2000, oh no, 2000, that was 2014, they had that weird back-to-back thing. 2014, it was uh, the now legendary punt week game. And then 2016, they played a game that was a little bit too close for comfort, uh, where Penn State ended up coming out on top. But before we dive into any kind of analysis of this game, I want to talk about the team a little bit. Uh, Jacob, we'll start with you. Can you give me just like a quick 10,000-foot view of the 2018 Indiana Hoosiers football team? Uh, Well, currently they are about as low as they can be. Uh, They started out the year, we all thought, as we always do, that this year was different, looked really good, and then we went through the... Michigan State, Ohio State, Iowa, Penn State stretch Well, coming up where uh, we looked awful. And now we're considering whether Tom Allen's even the right guy for the job anymore. Yeah, and uh, Ben, maybe we can bring you in. Like, uh, Do you kind of share that pessimism uh, that Jacob has, not necessarily about this team, but kind of big picture the direction of the program uh, long term under Tom Allen, that sort of thing? Um, I do, and it's un- and it's unfortunate. And I think um, the loss against Iowa last weekend, forty-two sixteen loss in Memorial Stadium in Bloomington, home homecoming loss. I think that really might have turned the tide on um, how folks view 
Allen um, at, under IU football. I mean, we've been managed to be fairly competitive, if not gotten the, the victories. But um, this was just a, a dud from start to finish. And I think people are questioning whether he's um, the right guy long term. I agree with Jacob, um, especially when defense, which has been the calling card for Indiana, has really struggled in the past couple games and so I'm just a little I'm a little worried going going forward um, especially when you see what Jeff Brom is doing up in Purdue okay so let me let me just push back a little bit um not to say that I disagree with you guys or anything like that but uh, I think when you think of Indiana football you're not necessarily thinking of a program that um you know historically has a ton of success is uh you, you know one of those elite college football program, not even necessarily, like, no offense to you, you have the basketball team, so I'm not, I'll, I won't mince my words too terribly much, uh, one of the kind of lower ends of the Power Five football programs, can you really afford to cut bait or start having serious conversations about cutting bait when you're a year and a half into someone's tenure. Don't you have to give him a little bit of time to build and see what he can do over the court three, four, five, however many years that would be? I would say, I mean, personally, I think so. Um, also, because he's been, he's done really, really well recruiting, um, which I think is probably going to save his job for the. Um, I would say through at least through next year. Um, I mean, this the the freshman class he's brought in has two regular contributors to the offense and a third and uh, that probably should be contributing, and he's still getting big recruits. So um, I guess it's probably more just kind of knee jerk reaction pessimism right now. Um, as down as we are about them, I, I still think that he's earned enough. Um, I, I still think he's earned enough time to, especially through recruiting, to be able to try to build something. But yeah, I mean that Iowa loss more than more than just the loss itself, because I think a lot of us probably expected a loss. Just the way it played out was just such a gut punch that it really took the wind out of everyone's sails. I think. Can, can you really quickly, when you say uh, how it played out, just kind of walk through that? Uh, Nate Stanley did just about anything he wanted through the air. Um, IU could not stop him at all. The, I believe he finished with five touchdowns. He was They were just picking apart IU's defense, which, as Ben said, has kind of been our calling card and what's, at least this year, what's kind of kept us afloat through a lot of games. Um, I was wrong. He finished with six touchdowns. Oh, um, yes. So... They had two different hundred yard receivers and they were both tight ends. So it wasn't it was just it was so it was so deflating that like like I said, like this defense it's for the most part looked good all year, was just absolutely destroyed and then the offense couldn't do I mean it's been kind of a problem all year, but the offense couldn't do nearly enough to kinda keep it close and it was just Ramsey had a couple Peyton Ramsey had a couple bad plays, bad interceptions. And then I think another thing that really um, led to some of this pessimism is the IU sideline got two 15-yard penalties. And it's just like everything imploded, hmm. everything went about as poorly as it could, and 
it all happened on homecoming week, which homecoming week has never been that great for IU, but still it was just a kind of a whole collection of things at the same time that just really was like, like I said, the couple times it was such a gut punch. Yeah. So that kind of leads into the uh, next thing I want to talk about, which uh, when people think of Indiana football, they think of, uh, you know, that phrase chaos team. They think of the team that, uh, you guys all certainly know the reputation. You're going to go out, you're going to play. Even if you lose, you're going to go down swinging. That sort of thing. Uh, usually when the Chaos Team moniker is around, that's because they're losing games of like 42 to 41 or something ridiculous like that. Uh, but Ben, I'll ask you, when you're looking at this Indiana team, uh, is that Chaos Team thing, is it still there? Uh, why or why not? Um, I don't, I don't see it as much anymore. I would say last year there were a few chaotic losses, but those weren't at the same sort of shootout level that you saw when Kevin Wilson was the coach last year. I know there was a loss to Michigan in overtime. There was a loss that, um, Michigan state had, um, come back on. Um, I guess the, like the Maryland loss was pretty high scoring though, but you know, at the same, at the same time, um, I don't, I I don't see like the chaos inflicted as much this year, and I think um, that was always one thing that um, you could count on IU teams. It would always be a a tough out for these opposing teams. They'd have to, um, even if they weren't going to win, they'd have to work their butts off to to get that victory. So uh, I just um, at least through seven games this year. Um, the only real nail biter was a uh, win at home in week two over UVA. Um, I'm not counting the Rucker game as a as a nail biter because that's Rucker, but uh, even though we only won by seven points, but um, the only, but even even that UVA game, um, it was a uh, you know UVA had a chance to win at the end, but um, felt like IU outplayed them throughout. Interesting and. and- I, I I've kind of noticed this as uh, I followed along with Indiana football. Like obviously, when you go from a coach uh, like Kevin Wilson, who wants to get into these shootouts, who wants to get into these high-scoring games, these super ultra uh, basically games where you're giving yourself a chance just because you're introducing the possibility that something can go wrong at any time. Like that seemed like. It's just not there with Allen, and it's been a little bit more conservative. And Jacob, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but it seems like it's been a little more conservative. It's been a little more, uh, you know, we're going to try and play defense. We're going to, even if it's not successful as it has been the past two weeks, try and play defense, try and be smart with the football, do that sort of stuff. Yeah, 100%. I think that's the biggest reason that we're not, I would agree with Ben, it's not nearly as chaotic as it has been. Um like you said, Wilson was an offensive guy that wanted to put up, outscore you, like you said, 42-41 or whatever. Um, under Allen, we have, we've had one of the top defenses in the nation the last two years. We lost a ton of that um, to graduation last year, which um, is kind of part of the reason IU's struggling a bit, I think. I think they were playing over their heads a little bit in the first kind of half of the season and are coming back to earth a little bit. But yeah, I would say, I mean, that's the biggest reason is just the different coaches. Allen's more defensive minded. He's been a 
defensive coordinator pretty much all his coaching career. Um, and he brings that mindset where, as opposed to trying to outscore opponents, he has faith in his, that his defense can get the stop and will opt to be conservative, where um, last couple years it worked a lot. It worked to a certain degree at the start of this year, but the last two weeks it has been, like we said, it's been just awful defensive showings. Yeah, I mean, on that defense, I mean, you guys are going to disagree with this assessment, but I'm very happy that I'm not going to have to worry about watching T. Gray scales just fly around and uh, annihilate people this weekend. So, uh, nice for me. I can imagine why that's not nice for you guys. But uh, <laughs> before we talk about the Hoosier defense at all, I want to kind of uh, dive into the offense a little bit because, you know, as, as we mentioned, Indiana's offense, that's kind of been the thing – I don't want to say that it hangs its hat on in recent years, but they've been pretty good on that side of the ball, Ben. And this year, I was a little bit surprised uh, when I was getting in to do my research for this episode uh, because their starting quarterback, Peyton Ramsey, is completing 68% of its, his passes, which on its merits is really, really good. Then I look and I see that Indiana is 88th offensively in S&P+. Plus. What, is the per- what is the reason for the disconnect between a quarterback who is that accurate and an offense that is that bad? Oh, where to, where to start? Okay, so um, Ramsey is yeah, obviously exceptionally accurate throwing the ball, but um, the pass is don't really go for a long way. There's a lot of check downs. Um, and I don't know if it's a product of being in um, the offense under um, offensive coordinator, Mike DeBoard. It's been a, he's just sort of known as a fairly conservative offensive coordinator or just whether or not that's um, his, his skill set. But he, uh, I think averaged 6.3 yards per pass. I want to say against Iowa last weekend and, yeah, the passes have all sort of averaged in the single-digit yardage. So while he's um, wh- while he's able to um, complete the passes, he's just not uh, able able to uh, generate a lot of yardage with them. And I think part of that also has to do that the offense is fairly one-dimensional right now. Um, Stevie Scott, our starting running back, really started off the year well. He was he was a truck against um, UVA and Ball State. Really just pounding through their defensive lines. And that just hasn't happened as much as, as big 10 play has started. And that um, running game um, was non-existent against Iowa uh, last weekend, non-existent against um, MSU. And so when you don't have that run game, um, they're going to, the, the d- defenses will know to, um, stuff the box they'll totally take that out of the picture and so i think that leads to a lot of the the checkdowns from ramsey and i think it's just been frustrating because um as jacob mentioned there is a promising true freshman backup qb and mike Penix, who has only played um two games i believe so far so um yeah a lot of frustrations with the offense not to mention Mm. offensive line um look Loss has lost some key players in recent years and um, has had a few injuries. Yeah, I, as I'm looking at Indiana, like the one thing that does look like they're pretty good at offensively, uh, other again, their success rate 37th in college football, it's the fact that uh, uh, th- their offensive line is pretty good at keeping Ramsey uh, 
keeping Ramsey upright, uh, 34th in passing down sack rate, 32nd in standard down sack rate. Uh, that it, that's I assume is just uh, based on some of the issues you mentioned about his off the offensive line. Ben uh, is more of a function of the fact that Ramsey's a pretty mobile guy, correct? That's right. Awesome. And uh, Jacob, I, I want to ask you something that that does interest me and I do think could be a little bit uh, dangerous with this offense. Uh, uh, before we do that, uh, Stevie Scott, 6'2", 233. So he's a large person and I'm excited to watch him rumble. Uh, he's that... an absolute unit, <laughs> as some might say. <laughs> yeah, I, you, we were talking about uh, the strength. When you look at the strength of the Indiana offense, uh, to me, I think it has to be, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, it has to be uh, the receiving core led by Nick Westbrook. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And a, a lot of times they bail out um, some Ramsey passes. He, uh, th- The receiving core is really deep. Um, Nick Westbrook, Donovan Hale, Fry Fogle, Jason Harris, all over 200 yards this year. And, I, I, and Reese Taylor is... Um, one of the more explosive guys, I think, on this offense. I don't. I think they don't get him the ball enough, but he's one of those true freshmen I was talking about who was Indiana's Mr. Football last year. Um, they. It seems like in recent weeks, at least early on, they try to get him the ball and space and just let him kind of do things, basically. But, yeah, this receiver core, um, a couple tall guys, Westbrook and Hale, are 6'3 and 6'4". They can go up and get the ball. Um, and the handful of deep passes that Ramsey can complete a lot of times come from jump balls that those two are able to bring down. Um, and like I said, kind of bail out Ramsey on some of those deep balls because his biggest weakness is downfield accuracy. He's an kind of average quarterback, um, intermediate yards and He'll miss a couple throws here or there, but you get about 20 yards downfield. And the Ohio State game was a pretty glaring example. It, I, I I never went back and watched it, shockingly, but it seemed like in real time <laughs> that Ohio State just kind of dared Ramsey to beat him downfield and kind of loaded the box up and um, played some press coverage. And there were throws to be had downfield. Um, there were two or three plays where the receiver had beaten the defensive back and Ramsey just missed him entirely. So, um, but when he does hit them, uh, they have. There's a. We have a lot of weapons, um, and they're able to also create yards after the catch. And it, it's just a. It's a really deep bunch that, um, I think at times has made Ramsey look better than maybe he is. But yeah, they're definitely the biggest strength of this of this offense. I I mean, just kind of more broadly asking, I mean, this isn't necessarily specific to this game, but it sounds like you guys uh, both seem to think that the best move might be uh, to kind of take the reins from Ramsey and hand them over uh, to Michael Penix and kind of just take whatever growing pains might come from that. Is that probably safe to say? Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, I think we've, um, I think, I think we've made, I think we're all sort of on the um, Crimson Quarry staff, like in, in agreement about that. But um, yeah, I think at the same time, I, yeah, there was, um, especially against Ohio State, that has had trouble um, de- de- defending the, the big play. There, there were some opportunities 
for that. And I mean, I think that's, um, we have to just try something I feel. Um, and I was, I was, I wrote this up for, um, some, for, for something else. I think it's, I think it's going to be on the, the infamous penlive.com tomorrow. Um, <laughs> I was saying that like, you know, basketball season for all intents, well, for all intents and purposes, that's gonna, that's gonna start in a, in a few weeks, but really like, November 1st, there's that, there's that shift. There's that mindset shift for, um, IU fans. And, you know, this team has to at least, um, have to do something to keep the attention up once basketball season starts. And, you know, we're only two wins away from, from a ball. So I just think they have to, I guess, you know, do, do something to, keep, to just keep fans interested at this point. Interesting. Interesting. And, uh, it's, I think that kind of sums up. Uh, that that probably sums up Indiana's offense pretty well. I think we can move on to the defense. Uh, defensively, the Hoosiers, I mean, you know, got carved up by Ohio State, which that happens. Uh, got carved up by Iowa, which doesn't happen as much. But I suppose I can see a path through which that happens. Uh, still, fiftieth nationally in defensive S and P plus. Reading through their numbers, Jacob, it looks like this rushing defense is, you know, not elite by any stretch of the imagination, but it's fine. The issues come when uh, opposing quarterbacks get the chance to throw the ball against this uh, Hoosier back seven, which is a little bit more susceptible uh, to allowing pass to allowing you to move the ball down the field than maybe the rushing defense would be. Yeah, and really up until the last two weeks, I think you might be able to argue the, at least by S&P numbers, that the rushing defense was elite. But really just across the board, the the defense has taken, I mean, not shockingly, has taken a pretty big hit um, <clears throat> in those S&P numbers after um, just getting carved up in back-to-back weeks. Um, but yeah, the back seven is where I think graduation hit hardest. Um, you mentioned Tigre Scales. Um, IU lost uh, just so much from last year's team that uh, defensively, um, Richard Fant was the team's number one cornerback, and they lost, I believe, two of their three linebackers, Covington being the other one. Um, they lost Chase Dutra, another defensive back. Um, they just lost so much from that team that um, – I was honestly surprised at how well they were playing early in the year. Um, they, like I, I think I mentioned earlier, it seemed, it like looking back now, they're probably playing kind of over their head a little bit in the last two weeks have been some sort of regression to the mean. But um, there, there's still some issues. But, yeah, the rushing defense is kind of their strength, and it has been under Tom Allen. Um, they've been really good against the run. They typically haven't been awful against the pass, but, I mean, it's hard to say that. Like I said last week, Nate Stanley threw six touchdowns on them, so I can't really say that they're a great passing defense. And I know uh, Dwayne Haskins, I don't remember how many he had, but I know he carved up the defense as well. Um, So it's been a rough two weeks that um, have exploited a lot of weaknesses within this um, defense. So, yeah, if – if you're going to have success against Indiana's defense, it's going to be through the air. 
Yeah, and then it looks, again, looking through these numbers, it looks like the major issue when it comes to this defense, especially when uh, it comes to quarterbacks being able to throw the football, is that they're just not especially good at getting home and being able to take quarterbacks down. Yeah, um, they're just... There's just no no real evident pass rush yet so far, um, and I just the sack, sack numbers aren't great. But um, you know, at the same time, we there are some, there is some talent on the front front seven guys like Alan Stallings um, and um, and then then we have um, yeah guys like Dame, guy like Damian Willis has made a lot of um, t- tackles been a fairly efficient line linebacker, but yeah, I mean, with just the the um, defensive line is just not held up against other Big Ten offensive lines, and that's when you see um, Dwayne Haskins and Nate Stanley throwing for six touchdowns each. Um, on the bright side for the defense, I do want to talk about a couple guys who I've been impressed with. Um, Jonathan Crawford, it's his senior season. He's um he's a he's a defensive back for us. He's um um made several plays. He's always a danger to pick the ball off. Um, and then also Marcelino Ball. He plays um, what I believe Tom Allen calls the husky position on the defense. And for the as the husky, he just has to make plays all over the field and I think he was he was suspended because of a targeting call for the first half of the Rutger game and then when he came back into that game you know there was a noticeable difference in how um the deep, the deep he was getting around to the ball and making plays yeah I, I'm especially impressed that Marcelino is able to uh, play football for Indiana when uh, one of his brothers plays for the Lakers and the other two are in their dad's <laughs> basketball league. So uh, you can tell him. he's not an actual ball because it would be La Marcelino ball if he was. <laughs> <laughs> so kind of moving past that a little never bit. Never lost. Never lost. When you're looking, I feel so envious, incredibly envious for the people who have no idea what's going on right now. Just, oh God, can you, can you imagine not knowing what it means when people are making jokes about the Ball family or why the phrase never lost means something? Jesus, God, that must be nice. Uh, it's impressive that they would have went this long without even hearing. Well, they, like, I, I, I want to meet that person and shake their hand well, for going this long. They probably know LaVar. They probably know Lavar for being the dad who made the president mad, but like outside, <laughs> but like outside yeah, of that, true. yeah. So moving Which is on. weird because they're similar people. <laughs> so, so getting trying haphazardly to get back on track. Uh, next, next thing that I have up here, uh, and Ben, we can start with you on this. Is just uh, we've seen Indiana, especially at Memorial Stadium, for whatever. Maybe they put something in the water. I don't know. Um, they play Penn State hard when games are in Bloomington. So. How, in the event that Indiana is able to win this game, and admittedly, like, uh, that it seems like that might be a bit of a tall task for this Hoosiers team, what needs to happen? So I was, um, I was at that 2013 game you mentioned. I was a grad student I. at IU at the time. I was in the stands for, for that one, and 
I figured I would probably stay for, you know, a first half or so and then, you know, see what happens. And then I ended up staying the whole game and we somehow won, won that game by 18 points. Um, but that was also five years ago. So that was it's been a long time since our one victory ever over Penn State. Um, so this year, how I think um, we beat them, I really, I mean, everyone just has to play out of their minds um, and we have to really get the um, get the fans hyped up about it. Um, I think it's a 3.30 start, so that will give fans you know, a little bit of time to tailgate, get ready for the day. There's not that pressure to get into the stadium by noon. So that, that helps things out a bit. Um, so yeah, using the, um, IU crowd to, to their advantage. And then also, um, I mean, I think that why, why not just, you know, try, try some different stuff out this week. And even if not, um, starting Penix, just like, you know, maybe this is the week you try to open the playbook because, um, you know, this, this is, um, you know, bet against a team like Penn State, just wide out. And I mean, Penn State, obviously, they're, they're reeling to after two losses. Maybe you catch them off guard. I, I really don't know how it happens, but, you know, it's college football. Crazy, crazy stuff happens. Exactly. You never know. Exactly. And Jacob, same question to you. Like, if there is a path to victory, how do you see, uh, how do you see it playing out? I think a lot of it, a lot of IU, um, it, it comes to the offensive line. Um, this team early in the year uh, got good offensive line play. Um, they were in the mid 50s in opportunity rate, um, rushing the ball, and were even better in not allowing sacks. I think they allowed one sack through their first three or four games. Um, at least through the first three games, they'd only allowed one sack. Um, but really, since the start of Big Ten play, they've looked really bad, which this is a unit that returns, I think, everybody from last year's team. But last year's offensive line wasn't very good either. Um, so I think the offensive line, when IU had its most success early in the year, they were rushing the ball effectively, and that's a big thing um, that DeBoard always seems to want to do, whether it's working or not. Um, and so I think if they're able to kind of offensively establish the run and just get just open up holes offensively. I mean, we talked a little bit about Stevie Scott, but uh, he's a true freshman who um, has looked really good at times this year. Um, if you give him holes to run through, he can run people over and um, break off some big plays. But um, in recent weeks, that hasn't happened. So, um, yeah, really, I, it's hard to say that we need explosive plays because those just haven't been a thing all year. But I mean, I, I kind of agree with Ben that I think this is a week where you just kind of say, you just kind of throw everything out there. I mean, you have nothing to lose. Um, just try things. I don't think, I, I don't think they're going to start Penix, but um, maybe throw him in there for a few snaps. I mean, even if they want to redshirt him, they have two more games that can play him before, and then they can make that decision. Um, this might be a week where they throw Penix out there and um, just try things. Maybe have Reese Taylor. He was a quarterback in high school. Um, he is third on the death chart. 
um, for quarterback or the quarterback depth chart. Maybe he takes some stuff and just just try things. But um, to me, if Indiana's going to have success, it's probably going to be because they were able to um, create holes running the ball, and that kind of sets up other things offensively. Yeah, I mean, the entire thing with this game is I really think it's as simple as Indiana just cannot let Penn State have the ball. Um, yes. I, when, mm-hmm. I, when I look at it and I see that Indiana is most susceptible uh, because they aren't good at getting to a quarterback, um, that just screams a big day for Trace McSorley. Uh, Indiana, 110th in sack, defensive sack rate, 106th in passing marginal efficiency, 92nd in passing marginal explosiveness. Again, those are numbers that kind of just suggest to me that uh, Trace McSorley, when he gets a chance to set his feet, he's going to do some damage to this defense. So to me, it's as simple as you run the ball, you get four or five yards of carry, whether it's with Stevie Scott, whether it's Peyton Ramsey, and then you use the fact that Ramsey has been a very, like, his success has come on short underneath passes. Use that to your advantage and be willing to put together 15, 16, 17 play drives that take seven or eight minutes off the field, off the, uh, off the clock, to just keep Penn State's offense on the sideline. And one thing we've seen with Penn State this year is that they can get a little bit rattled. We've seen it in the last two weeks. We saw it in the Appalachian State game. When teams are hanging around late against Penn State, they get rattled a little bit. If Indiana is hanging around late, that could like that might end up being the difference in this game. Uh, but Jacob, I'm going to give you, you you have the unenviable task in terms of Ben and I because we have to figure out something else to say in response to this question. But uh, how does Penn State beat Indiana? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, you meant. You mentioned his name, but it's it'll be through Trace McSorley, I think. Um, we've talked a lot about it. IU can't get to the quarterback, and it's not even that the defensive line has struggled. It's even when they've blitzed, um, they can't get to the quarterback. Uh, you just have to go back and look um, at the just the highlights, just Nate Stanley's touchdowns last week. Um, the majority of them came against the blitz. Um they would send an extra guy or two. Um, they wouldn't get home, and then you're relying on a lot of man-to-man coverages to not break down. And um, as you can tell, they broke down quite often. So, um, yeah, I think the way that Penn State probably wins this game is that McSorley is going to have a lot of time to just kind of sit there and pick apart the defense however he wants. Um, and Indiana's not probably not going to be able to do enough if you just get solid – defensive line play um, just to make sure that there's no holes. Um, Like I've said, to start to kind of get the run game going for IU, um, just force them off the field. And I think the more time, the more time you're on the field, the more holes you're going to be able to exploit in the Indiana defense, which like we said, is kind of reeling and um, not really in a good place right now. Ben, uh, same question to you. Yeah. So I think, um, Penn State, I want to say, is about a 14-point favorite in this game. It's something in that ballpark, yeah. But um, that, in, so fairness, in fairness, that means that they, that's what Penn State was last week to Michigan State. Oh, well. <laughs> um, yeah, but I, I do think that that loss to Michigan State sort of play, plays in, into it a bit. Um, obviously, Penn State, uh, like IU, has lost 
two in a row. Um, I think they're going to come out motivated. They're going to come come out angry for this one, and I think they're going to see IU as a p- potential opponent where they could um, sort of uh, sort of a, a get right game before the um, rest rest of their schedule. And yeah, along with along with Trace McSorley, um, I could I could see a big day from some from Miles Sanders on on the ground. He's been having having a great season as well. Um, I just think if yeah, if Penn State um you know just has um keep, keeps their offense steady to sort of what what it was early earlier in the season and you know they just let McSorley be be himself then um I don't I don't think they will have um an, an issue winning this game on unfortunately despite it being in Bloomington I mean I hope I'm wrong but I'm just I'm I'm just kind of pessimistic I just unfortunately after Ohio State and Iowa um this is not a not a great opponent for Indiana. Yeah, I to me, and this is something that's going to be uh, evident. I think when I try and predict this game, uh, I think Penn State is not in an especially good place right now. I think they're probably all uh, really angry, really uh, upset after how the last few weeks have gone. And there are really two ways to respond to something like that. There's either one, you uh, kind of stay down, and in a game like th- a game against a team like Indiana, that means that you're going to go on a road in a place that's been a little shop of horrors for you the last few years <laughs> and uh, potentially run into some problems. Or you basically just say, screw it, and go out and do the things that you're supposed to do as the more talented football team. I think McSorley's going to have a big game. I, I, everyone listening to this podcast knows that uh, Penn State's big, big issue offensively this year has been wide receivers not being able to get open and having trouble securing the football. I think that's going to be a priority, and I think that should be a priority for Penn State's offense. And then the other side of the ball, Penn State's defense, I mean, just don't get burned for big plays. I mean, the last thing that uh, I think Penn State wants is you know, to have those drives that end in, uh, you know, you get blindsided because, uh, you know, Nick Westbrook is able to get behind a defensive back and Peyton Ramsey lobs one up and they get it and they go long. So I think Penn State just goes out, executes, and if they're able to do the stuff that they kind of need to do going forward before Iowa and before Michigan and Wisconsin, get the receivers going, Maybe try and get Jake Pinnegar in the field goal kicking game right. Get your defense playing an ent- a full game and not having the lapses that we've seen like against Ohio State and Michigan State. And even in the first half against Illinois, I think this one uh, should, 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 should be a win for the Nittany Lions. I say should because, as I said, the line for this game is what the line was for the Michigan State game last week. And anything can happen uh in a weird Big Ten football game. Uh, any X factors, anything like that that you think could, uh, you know, kind of pop up and play an unforeseen role in this game? And that's kind of just an open question to either of y'all. Yeah, I'll, um, I'll, I'll say um, Jay Sean Harris. Jason Harris has, I believe, had three torn ACLs in his time at IU. He's a, um, he, I believe he's a senior at this point. He's been, he's been yeah, around he with... 
yeah, he's been around with the program forever. Um, he took a punt to the house um, against Ball State, so he could be that X factor on on special teams. Um, and obviously, um, X factor, as we've talked about, is if they give Mike Penix some run at QB. I would say uh, the only other guy I'd, I'd mention, and I've said him a couple times, is Reese Taylor. I mean, oh, he's yeah. he's uh, I mean, he's kind of the perfect X Factor type of guy. He's had moments all year. He had a big run the first week of the season against uh, Florida, um, Florida International FIU. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's the type of guy that. He always looks when he gets the ball that he could break a big play. So he'd be the only other guy. I think him and Jay Sean Harris are the two kind of big X factors for IU. And that's kind of the thing. Like that's where Penn State has seemed to be the most susceptible this season. It's been in those uh, those big plays made by guys who you don't expect to make big plays. It's been trick plays. It's been catching them off guard in special teams. It's been stuff like that. So that that'll certainly be something to watch. Uh, Real quick, would you guys rather have Reese Taylor, Rondale Moore, or would you rather we talk about something else? Oh, God. <laughs> so something else. Cool. Let's move on to predictions for this game. Uh, I'll go first. I think Penn State is going to make it a point to try and get back on track. Real concerted effort to win this game and win this game in a fairly convincing manner. Uh, iron out the mistakes that have popped up on special teams, especially with turnovers. Uh I think Penn State wins this game with score something like 40, 45 to – we'll go 45-24. I think Indiana is able to surprise them with a few things that they don't really see coming. And, you know, because it's Indiana football, they're legally required to have a good kicker in Logan Justice this year, 8 for 10 uh, with the boot. <laughs> uh, Jacob, what's uh, your prediction for this one? I think this is just a terrible matchup for IU. Um, in a different scenario, IU kind of comes out fired up after back-to-back losses, but this is kind of the worst-case scenario matchup right now. Um, again, maybe it's just the pessimism after that Iowa game, but I don't think this will be very close. I I would put it something – I mean, it's basic. I, don't, I have less faith in our offense right now, too. I would put it like 38 – 17, somewhere in that range. But, yeah, I think McSorley has a pretty big day. And Ben? So I, I could see actually this one. Um, maybe IU comes a little fired out of this. Maybe maybe Penn – I know Penn State has um, – it's like the Illinois game, for for example. It's taken their offense a little a little while to, um, to, to get going in, in some of these games. Um, so I could see this actually being kind of close – in this like early third quarter, maybe IU like cuts the lead, or maybe um, they even have a lead, and you people will be tweeting things like, "Oh, here come those Hoosiers again!" Oh, oh, it's chaos team time, something like that. But um, I just think um, Penn State has too many weapons on offense and such a good QB and Trace McSorley. Um, as that, I think they'll eventually put them all. Mark me down for 34-14 Penn State. Awesome. What's uh? Is there any way, ahead. real quick, that we can send uh, Trace McSorley apple picking? No, I know. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I. So for those of you who don't remember, last year Ben wrote an article uh, for 
Crimson Quarry uh, saying that Penn State should send Saquon Barkley apple picking for the uh, Penn State-Indiana game. Uh, of course, uh, if y'all remember, Penn's, Saquon Barkley owes house the opening kick and Penn State got up like 28 to 7 in the first quarter or something like that it was it something seemed like in the first four minutes yeah, Penn, yeah. yeah. Like, I think Indiana punted from the Penn State 32 or something like that during the first <laughs> quarter yeah it, and that ended up happening Serious. and what you guys may not remember is that we on the blog replied to that with what might be the shortest post in the history of oh, I remember Roar. We wrote a like a thirty word intro and then just the word no and uh, thank God he didn't. So if you guys would like to suggest that Trace could go apple picking, I think we're uh, we have it on uh, you know we have evidence that, that actually causes the Penn State players to play better. So I, I would not be opposed to uh, someone suggesting this. Really? Uh, like I said, it's a terrible matchup either way. So I'm willing to pull out all the tricks and I say we suggest him to go apple picking. Well, again. here's the thing. Sure. In the event that uh, y'all are able to convince Trace to uh, take this weekend off, you know, have a personal day, all that, his backup is a man by the name of Tommy Stevens. Does that ring a bell for you two? No, never heard of him. Yes. <laughs> Indian, former Hoosier commit from Indianapolis, Indiana, went to Decatur, Decatur Central High School. <laughs> so, listen, I think there would be nothing more at – there would be few things more Indiana football – then for Trace McSorley to just go, I don't feel like it, let's give him a chance, and then have the guy who is from Indianapolis come in and oh, just God. rain fire for four quarters. So do you really want that? I guess that's my question. <laughs> Listen, we're, we're destined for sadness no matter what. So, yeah, whatever works. Well, it's like um, in, in – in, in, I hate to bring up basketball again, but I'm going to. Um, a lot of times in Big Ten games – in assembly hall a kid who um is from indiana but for whatever reason chose to go to out of state or wasn't recruited by iu um he will have the game of his life in assembly hall yeah Yeah, indiana indiana kid in assembly hall is a very real thing yeah it's like how for whatever reason like every Knicks fan was convinced LeBron was destined to become a Knicks. So for his entire career, LeBron just scores 50 points whenever he goes to Madison Square Garden. <laughs> Let's very briefly uh, go through this weekend's Big Ten slate. It's a fun one. We have some good games oh, yeah. on here. We have some interesting games on here. We have a few potential upsets on here, dare I say. But first... Uh, well, let's start with one of those potential upsets. Number six, Michigan at number 24, Michigan State is a noon kick on Fox. Uh, of course, uh, both teams are coming off of big wins. Michigan was able to take care of business at home, running Iowa off the field. Michigan State, I really hope I don't have to tell anyone listening to this podcast what they did last week. The Wolverines, six and a half point favorites in this one. Um, I think Michigan has the juice right now. I think that for how good Michigan State is at being in these games and making these games difficult, I think Michigan covers that spread. I think Michigan wins this game. Uh, probably, I'll, I'll say something in the area of like 28 to 13. Yeah, I don't... I'm still almost confused by Michigan State because I didn't think they were that great when they came up against IU, which they ended up routing us. But... Uh, I still don't know how they are as good as they are. Um, I'm just going to keep picking against them, also because I want that Michigan Ohio game at the end of the year, Ohio State game at the end of the year. So yeah, I 
I would say Michigan wins, and I think they cover fairly easily. So I'm going to go all not so fast, my friend, on you guys. Oh! Um, yeah, I, 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 maybe I'm just like, maybe I'm just being irrational, but I love the Spartans in this game. Um, it, it's a noon kickoff in East Lansing, um, home Michigan, where they crushed Wisconsin last weekend, is a different team than Road Michigan um, this year, where they. Um, Lost to Notre Dame, they struggled to put Northwestern away. Um, so, I and I looked at the weather. It's going to be like 40s and raining. This is like this is like classic Mark D'Antonio upset scenario. Um, I think it's going to be ugly, low scoring. Like Michigan State always plays them out of their mind against Michigan. Even that year, they went three and nine. I think they kept it close. Um, give me the Spartans, 14 to 13. Uh, well, the important I know thing, I'm I'm not thrilled about it, but well, the also Jim Har Jim Harbaugh is one and six against his three Michigan's three rival schools. The thing is, in the event that uh, this happens, that means Herm Edwards has a transitive property win over James Franklin and Jim Harbaugh. So that would be, <laughs> that would be the new the new leadership model hangs its hat on transitive property victories. So. Uh, <laughs> At the same time, ESPN2, another noon kick. This one is interesting. Maryland at Iowa because one of two things are going to happen. Either Matt Canada and his uh, funny, silly, whimsical offense is going to just like confuse the hell and run all over an Iowa defense that like has nothing but guys who run four nines regardless of position. Or they're going to just get completely smothered because Iowa doesn't get uh, fooled by the uh, smoke and mirrors game that Maryland's going to play. My guess, uh, 13.5-point line, that second thing happens. I have this game something in the area. I think Iowa wins it probably something like, uh, let's go with 24 to... I think 24 to 13 might be about right. Ugly games happen in Kinnick. Uh, ben, what do you think? Um, I, I agree with you. I think I, I, I haven't seen enough from – obviously Maryland had the big game against Texas to open the season before Texas really put it together and was quote-unquote back. But um, I don't – I haven't seen enough from the Turks this year to know if they can um, put away in – Iowa team right now that um with Nate Stanley um who's been who's been on fire uh give me the hawk give me the hawk guys um 31 to 17 Jacob I would be around the same line I think this Iowa offense uh really since the first two weeks has been really good uh I think it's closer to the 31 17 number I think Iowa puts up a lot of points I would probably say something like 34, 14, somewhere in that neighborhood. I don't think it'll be that close. I don't want to talk about Illinois, Wisconsin. Do you guys? Absolutely not. Okay, moving no. on. Northwestern at Rutger, uh, noon kick BTN. Uh, are you <laughs> conference game? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's a it's a battle. It's very interesting because all of the Medill kids are going to want to move to the New York media market, so this works out well for them. Uh, yeah, I, I don't want. I'm not going to watch any of this game uh, if I have my wits about me. 
of it. I don't have my wits about me, so I'm going to end up watching a bit of this. And it's going to be like, you know how every once in a while Northwestern just has that one game where Mick McCall is able to have them score like 55 points? Like, that's that's going to be this. They're just going to run Rutgers <laughs> off the field, and it's going to be hilarious. I don't think it'll be close at all. Rutgers is just terrible this year. Um they're, yeah. I'm, 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 I'm not <laughs> hold on, hold on. Try and guess what the line on this one is. Oh, I haven't seen this one. It's, it's, it I know S&P has it at 13. Uh, okay. It feels like it should be a lot more. I'm not going to answer that, but. Is it at, at Rutger? It is. Um, I would guess Northwestern favored by 21. Ben, 21 and a half. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, I might take <laughs> Northwestern on that, too. Rutgers is just so bad. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, good Lord. God. Yeah. Northwestern's going to win by a lot of points. Your court. I, I wonder if Rutgers still is that, uh, that Art, Arthur Sikowski kid playing for that. They threw some poor true freshman in there, and he is underperforming even by the standards of a true freshman. Like I believe, he, I believe he had eight yards um, passing Something on Saturday. Like that. Something like that. Uh, give me a second. On the year, uh, Arthur Sikowski, 88 for 177, 49.7% completion percentage, which, like, that's that's bad, but I also kind of expected it to be a little bit worse than that. Uh, his On his 177 attempts, he has 758 yards, which is 4.28 yards per attempt. Three tutties and 15 interceptions. Oh, oh my yeah, god. Last week against Maryland, he finished 2 of 16 for 8 yards and 4 interceptions. Oh, well, he's, he's Nathan Peterman, but, but college. This poor t- <laughs> like, god, this kid doesn't even have a chance, man. Like, that's bad. I, I shun them. They should just play the Italian guy, Giovanni Rossigno, or whatever his name is. I can make that joke because I am Italian, okay? <laughs> All right, uh, Penn State, Indiana, we already talked about that. Minnesota at Nebraska, 330 kick, BTN. It's in Lincoln. Um, it looks like, uh, ooh, Las Vegas has the 0-6 Huskers as a five-point favorite in this one. Now. Really? I well, they're, well, they're playing the game on Scott Frost Day, so ah, uh, yeah, yeah, you can't lose on Scott Frost Day. Let me look at what S and P Plus has on this, but like, I feel like S and P favors Minnesota by two points. Ooh, wow, we mm. got a we got ourselves mm. an, a numerical fight here. Uh, yeah. I'm inclined, I think, to uh, go with Vegas on this one. Like Minnesota has been a solid football team, and despite the fact that they've they're zero uh, six. I don't think Nebraska has been quite as bad as their record indicates, even though they're certainly not good. Um, you know what? Screw it. I'm taking the Huskers in this one. Um, cool. Well, they they are playing for the Big Ten's best rivalry trophy, which is the five dollar broken chair trophy. Whoa, 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 sir, sir! The land grant trophy was last weekend. <laughs> oh well come on excuse excuse me the land grant trophy college football's premier end table was on the line I, come <laughs> on and nothing says end table more than michigan state football so <laughs> yeah uh what do y'all think i like the i like i like the huskers in this one as well i think they finally 
Uh, Scott Frost gets off the schneid finally. Uh, I'll take. I'm gonna take Minnesota. Do you re- do you guys know what their S and P rank for their defense is? Really good. Really good. It's 23rd. They're the I. Their offense is so horrible though. It's 103rd. <laughs> yeah. Don't don't. Isn't their quarterback like a walk on who's only walking on because his dad played there and like. Day of yeah, money he, so he could like pay. He's got a life. great um. He's got a great Minnesota QB named Zach Annex Annexstad. Oh yeah, he definitely sounds like someone who has like gone into a forest with an axe before. <laughs> oh. Which I believe is a requirement to play football for Minnesota. <laughs> at least on the <laughs> offensive line. I I don't uh, unless you're that one absolute unit they had at tackle who was like six nine and four hundred pounds last week. So. You know, I'm rooting for that kid specifically. Actually, give me that. <laughs> Final game of the weekend, and I'm this is this game is actually more why I wanted you guys on than our game. It's a night kick, 7:30 p.m. It's on ABC. It's at wow. Hostel Ross Aid Stadium in West Lafayette, Indiana. <laughs> the number two Ohio State Buckeyes traveling to Purdue. There's been. Now, don't get me wrong, Ohio State, comfortable 12-point favorites to win this one. S&P has them winning this one uh, by about 10 points. There have been a, this game has been a very, very trendy uh, upset special for a lot of people. What do y'all think about that one? Because I know you guys have some Purdue takes. Oh, um, yeah. I, I mean, I think Ohio State will win, but... I I think Purdue has the potential to keep it close. I mean, Ohio State's uh, weakness, as we've talked about, is, is the big play. And with a playmaker like Rondell Moore at Purdue, um, you know Jeff Brom's going to get him into some situations where he's going to get more the more the ball. And, um, yeah, I think ever since – I think the Mizzou game, um, David Blau has just – is that I don't, Blau, Bluff? I, I'm not sure how to pronounce it. I think Blau. Blau, okay. Yeah, David Blau has just um, really been great at QB. Um, they put up 600 yards of offense against the Illini last week. Like I, So I think Purdue is rounding into form. You know, a night game at a stadium that, may I remind you, just only got lights last year. <laughs> um, and, and, yeah, uh, I just – I think there's the potential that um, I th- I I would say I would guess Purdue would would cover this one. I think it's going to be close. I'm going to say 38-31. I don't think they're going to have enough in the tank to get by Ohio State, um, but at least it's going to be a more entertaining game than that um, 10 to 6 game from 2002, the Holy Buckeye game that was also played in West Lafayette. <laughs> Jacob, what do you think? Uh. Fun fact, Purdue is ninth in the nation in offensive big plays. Ohio State is 121st in the nation defensively against big plays. Um, What I wish would happen would be Ohio State wins like 69-2. What I think will happen is Ohio State wins like 52-48 or something crazy. I think this is just going to be an absolute shootout. I'm going to disagree with both of you pretty comfortably in that I think there has been enough chatter 
about Purdue, how dangerous they are offensively, their big play threats that Rondell Moore is just lightning in a bottle. I've seen enough Ohio State and enough Urban Meyer to know that there is no game in which he decides he is going to ground you to dust more than when people start picking a trendy upset against his team. So I I actually think, like, I do think uh, Rondale Moore and, you know, those playmakers that uh, Purdue have, I think they're going to get a few plays where they're able to get behind Ohio State's secondary. They're able to make those big plays. They're able to, uh, you know, get those big yardage plays that they're able to score off of. But I only think that happens maybe two, three, perhaps four times. And Purdue's defense, uh, not great, Chief. 84th of defensive S&P+. Plus. Um, it's been especially rough against the pass. It's been, it has let people kind of nickel and dime them a little bit. Uh, 102nd in passing marginal efficiency. I think this is a game where Ohio State's going to go in and if Purdue isn't able to land a haymaker or two early on in the game, and I'm not convinced they're going to, I think this actually has the potential to get a little bit ugly. Something where Ohio State just has one of those games that reminds you that they're elite and you're not. Um, I don't. I don't want to say it's going to end something like you know, forty-nine to twenty-four, but I've seen enough Urban Meyer football games where I know they are capable of doing that. Uh, when an opponent starts feeling themselves a little bit too more, so so basically it's so basically it's going to be Purdue's last two Sweet Sixteen appearances, but um, on the gridiron. As someone who was there to watch what Texas Tech did to them in the Sweet Sixteen, yes, it gets a little <laughs> bit weird when that happens. One of my favorite games of last season. Yeah, shouts to Zaire Smith. Trust the process, baby. That's uh, trust the process. And on that note, uh, I think uh, I think that's all for this edition. Uh, of the podcast, Ben and Jacob, thank you very much for coming on, guys. We really appreciate it. Thank Thanks you for having us. No problem. And uh, you can make it make it a point to follow Ben at VT Ben, Jacob at Jacob Rude, and Crimson Quarry at Crimson Quarry uh, on Twitter. Uh, while you're there, make if you haven't by now, give the blog a Twitter at RLR Blog. Make sure you're subscribing to us on our social media channels, uh, follow, liking us on Facebook, reading and supporting the site, and of course, buy yourself some t-shirts because they're so pretty nice, comfortable shirts. And you would, of course, as always, look great in one. One last time, thank you to Ben and Jacob for coming over and talking about the Indiana Hoosiers, and thank you very much for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone.